Welcome to Ascension Sisters, a live radio podcast for people who want to know the truth about how the world really works. From whistleblowers and witnesses to deep research and official documents, we read between the lines of society's conventional narrative to give you the information you need to design your life the way you want, based on intelligence, facts, intuition, and hard-won wisdom, not propaganda, disinformation, or somebody else's agenda. Welcome to Ascension Sisters. Welcome to Ascension Sisters. I'm your host, Cece Kelly, and I'm here with whistleblower and my real-life sister, Suzanne Helene. Suzanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Cece. In the first episode of the series a couple of weeks ago, we called The Nuclear Truth. Suzanne gave her testimony about her experiences as an employee at a large medical facility in Southern California that was built on the former location of a NASA Boeing industrial space complex and home to both the Apollo and space shuttle missions. In addition, this land was formerly home to the first nuclear reactor in California as well as a neutron bomb factory back in the 20s and 30s. So just think about that for a second. Think about all the toxic, hazardous, and radioactive materials that must have existed back then and may well still exist and may potentially be the cause of cancer and the deaths of some of Suzanne's former colleagues. We reported a couple of weeks ago, that about 20% of Suzanne's colleagues have succumbed to cancer and other treatment-resistant diseases, including Suzanne being diagnosed with cancer herself, and that on her first day of work at the medical complex built on the former NASA site, the human resources lady said that when she was giving the office tour, she said, don't drink from the water fountain, the water is radioactive, and she wasn't joking. We actually have some startling late-breaking news to share tonight. This is a live radio program, so we can be timely like that. Suzanne has more information on the fate of some of her colleagues. Um, I recently learned of the untimely death due to cancer of uh, one of the uh, former employees that I worked with who uh, worked in the ambulance dispatch department. It was in another office, but on the same floor where uh, where I had worked. And uh, the news came from a co-worker in the same area where I was, and um, who happened to know this um, employee really well. And um, this person had shared that there were, in fact, 13 cancer deaths that Many people I, I was completely unaware of uh, since I had uh, also worked in another position during my time, during the nine years. And she's uh, filing a report. Is that, yes. is that part, of the, yes. part of the update? That's right, yes. Uh, because of the, uh, the number of people who had died from the cancer deaths, she's filing a report with OSHA. And uh, she is completely unaware of, of this broadcast. And and is it because of the number of, of uh, cancers and deaths, but also the co-location? Oh, yes. And there's such a small proximity. That's why. Well, that's really interesting news, Suzanne. Thank you very much. And we will keep you, the listeners, up to date on the outcome of 
the report as more information unfolds. Um, as far as tonight's episode goes, let's get right into tonight's topic. We're going to explore uh, more of the overarching narrative around these untimely deaths and whether or not toxic substances and radioactivity are to blame. Last week, we took a deep dive into the history of the transfer of the land in Downey from NASA and Boeing to the city of Downey and subsequently to a private developer who in all likelihood, based on our research, did not properly remediate or test the soil, water, and air for unsafe levels of radioactivity. So tonight we're going to explore the rather unusual nature of Suzanne's former job that she performed on these locations in question that we're talking about in Southern California to give you, the listeners, some contextual reference and uh, to perhaps more fully understand the complexity of the situation and how she and her colleagues may have developed cancer and other diseases as a result of ongoing exposure to radioactivity. So we're going to talk about what Susan was actually doing in her position that exposed her to these substances. So Suzanne, why don't we get started with a description of what the PET team is, this this team that you worked on, mm-hmm. and, and what was your role exactly? It all sounds kind of mysterious. Okay. Huh. So um, PET stands for Psychiatric Emergency Team. And I was a psychiatric emergency clinician on the team, and I was um, the responder to calls for um, emergency evaluations for people in the ERs who um, showed up because they were a danger to themselves, a danger to others, or uh, what we call gravely disabled because they were unable to take care of themselves safely due to um, some form of a very uh, bizarre uh, psychiatric um, uh, uh, breakdown or instability. And I worked during the night and what we call the knock shift, uh, because knock, knock for nocturnal. <laughs> and um, yeah, and so uh, we would work when the uh, psychiatrists, um, when their shift ended, um, usually like during business hours, and, and we did the, um, the uh, all the overnight evaluations. Interesting. So, so how did that work exactly? You're you're working at night. Uh, so what's a, what, what's a, can you maybe describe a typical night at work? What happens? Okay. How do you get called into work? Mm-hmm. Uh, how, how, and you're driving around. How does it all work? Okay. Uh, well, the, um, in the emergency rooms, when, uh, when the doctor goes in to find out what's going on with the patient, and uh, they determine that um, this is someone who um, may need to go to a psychiatric hospital, but they, of course, need a professional consult. Uh, they would um, call our, our um, dispatch, our base, basically that's where, you know, the, one of the sites that I had worked at for years. The uh, dispatcher would then page me and I would go out to wherever that was in L.A. County. Okay. And so you're driving around in the middle of the night mm-hmm. and um, you're going to these emergency rooms. And do you know what you're going to encounter mm-hmm. when you arrive at the emergency rooms? Do you have any clue about who you're going to meet and what you're going to assess? Well, you know, I do get a summary from uh, when uh, the dispatcher who uh, does an analysis of the case and tells me uh, about, you know, what's going on with that person, why the doctor thinks they need to be evaluated maybe for an involuntary hospitalization. So I do have some general idea what, you know, what the symptoms and what, you know, what the issues are. Okay. 
so I know that uh, you meet you can meet some uh, some cases are probably you know like what are the typical cases not okay. the extraordinary cases but what are the typical types of cases that you deal with? Okay, um, I think that the typical cases have to do with um, uh, just severe depression where uh, someone is having suicidal thoughts. It's very common. Uh, the uh, other cases where someone has uh, some aggression or agitation. And they may have had a like a welfare check from the police and they're brought in for an assessment um, for concerns about threats or danger to others. And then the other, which actually is, you know, fairly unfortunately common is um, people who've had a prior history and they stop taking the medications or psychiatrists prescribed and then they develop symptoms of their illness again, which might be like, you know, hearing voices or having what we would, you know, a lot of people are familiar with what paranoia is and thinking someone's out to get them. And, uh, and it's, you know, caused them to like barricade themselves in the house. I mean, there's it's things like that, mm-hmm. that, you know, actually is more common than you would think. Wow. That's amazing. So maybe you could go on, you know, I think it would be very interesting because this is a highly unusual job. I'm sure most people have never even heard of it before, you know, basically, uh, you know, clinical psychologists who are driving around in the middle of the night, not unlike, you know, Scully from the X-Files meets Dr. House, you know, going to emergency rooms all across Southern California, diagnosing and assessing uh, potential patients. And you're going to meet a uh, wide range of, you know, a variety of different cast of characters, so to speak. Maybe you can tell us about some of the uh, the cases that stick out in your mind from the uh, many years that you uh, performed this service. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, um, you know it's actually interesting. You mentioned uh, uh, Scully from the X Files and Doctor House um, because um, I I would go out and sometimes it was very uh, and I'll share some some cases that really stand out for me. But um, but a lot of my work is to really determine you know, what's going on here? Is it what I, you know, explained by a psychiatric disorder? Are there other factors, you know, including substances, toxic exposure? I mean, a number of things. So like Dr. House would always kind of do what they call the differential diagnosis. What else might explain what's going on here? You have to really look at it with a critical eye um, from a clinical standpoint. And then sometimes there's what's called not otherwise specified, meaning something doesn't meet all the symptom criteria of what we would see in the diagnostic statistical manual. So um, I'll share with you uh, some interesting encounters. Uh, The first one that I have to say I'll never forget, gone to the hospital emergency room and right when I walked in, uh, where, you know, I approached the nurse's station, um, the nurse sitting, uh, she was behind the desk counter and said, I hope you're not going to go in there alone. And I was, you know, a little kind of confused, um, thinking, well, you know, there are patients, sometimes they're violent and they do have security there and then they are in the restraints. So if they are, you know, if there's any risk of, of anybody getting hurt. So I couldn't imagine why she would say that. So, um, so I went on um, and then, I'm walking toward the room, and I saw three, uh, you know, they were kind of dressed in plain clothes, but they were holding Bibles, three men circling and reading out loud. 
Bible, you know, scripture. And I thought, what on earth is going on? Um, I had gotten a report from the dispatcher, but I didn't expect this. I had no idea. So, um, so I, I walk in and there's a man who comes out and um, he has a Bible and he, his t-shirt, he's wearing a t-shirt and it's like wet. And he said, well, when you go in to talk to him, stand um, at a distance because he's been, he's, he spits. And it was like, it was really gross. Who spits? The patient. The patient was spitting, apparently had spat like quite at quite a quite a distance and um, and it was a pastor his shirt was covered with spit and um and so I could uh see what it was almost looking like an exorcism in there um with they were reading the bible passages out loud and um what uh, the pastor told me was that he believed it was a case of a demonic possession and um and I said well okay please pray for me and then I said it a little jokingly, but they did. You know, they circled around me and said a prayer. That, the pastors, you know, the three yeah, pastors. The three pastors, um, and they, uh, you know, prayed for, for me to be safe and protected and, you know, and obviously for for the patient, you know, to um, their, for, for his wellness. So I went in and uh, called out the patient's name and tried to just to engage him, and there was silence and then I just kept repeating you know his name and he uh just a voice it was from just like real deep inside and you know he said he's not here and it was kind of strange because this is you know somebody who was um I would say in more what we would uh, call catatonic, uh, in a very rigid, like frozen posture with arms raised and um, and kind of legs like kind of spread like a frog, and uh, just just in that suspended state, and uh, wasn't speaking. So I thought maybe this is a case of someone having like a, a catatonic rea- um, reaction or some related to a psychosis, right? And then when he said he's not here and spoke. Um, I thought, okay, maybe we're going to get somewhere here. And I said, well, okay, well, where is he? And then the hand that had a heart monitor where there's a little light, um, there was a light blinking on the, on the finger that it was uh, taped to, uh, points to the center of his chest, like as in, in here. And I said, all right, well, then who are you? And he said, we are many. And then, which was very chilling, we know who you are. We know your background. We know why you're here and that you are going to put him away forever. We guarantee it. And that was the voice said that the voice said that to me with a person, you know, and I called the voice because, you know, you said we are many and I was, really taken aback and there was a very uh chilling um uh feeling that came over me so i then was thinking all right (laughs) what is going on here so i tried to um get a little more information and um okay i'm gonna say this i um okay this is my personal background i'm 
I'm a born again Christian and in um, my religion that it says in scripture, you know, that you can call upon the authority of, of Jesus Christ to uh, cast out uh, demons and unclean spirits. And so I thought, all right, why don't I give this a whirl? I just said, you know, um, you know, in the authority of, by the authority of, of Jesus Christ, I call upon you to come out of him. And then he said, you're nothing with a sneer, like lips curling. Um, we're not answering any of your more, any more of your questions, complete silence. And there was nothing after that. So uh, then I left the room and, you know, and I was just, uh, calling um, some family to, to get a, a, a kind of a backstory on what happened. And the pastor came up with a spit all over the t-shirt, came up and um, he said, you know, I think this is a case of demonic possession. We had one like this before and it took three days for it to come out. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. That was something. Um, I ended up of course having to arrange a hospitalization for him and I um, was able to look into the electronic chart to see how things went. And there was a medication given to him, which apparently uh, he reacted to by uh, twisting and contorting his body, um, which is not an unusual reaction to that type of medication. Um, but in this case, um, he, uh, was, he came out of the catatonic state and had no recollection of what happened. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so that is a highly unusual case. And there was something about this that had something to do with another case that you worked on after that. Ah, and this is interesting. (laughs) Two weeks after, um, two weeks after this, I remember, um, I'm called to, uh, you know, the ER for a woman who claims that there were zombies who came up out of the ground in her backyard, that there were five of them over two weeks that were um, harassing her to do things for them, like uh, talk to certain people, find certain things, go certain places for them as if they had like unfinished business. And like they're like the like 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 we hear about ghosts or something that have unfinished business. Right. They were trying to get this woman to do things for them. Right. Exactly. And she refused. And but she didn't describe them like um like ghosts that are kind of transparent. She said they're like they were like flesh and blood and used the word zombies. And uh what was especially interesting was that her uh, spouse was there. And um, although he didn't see them, uh, he, you know, corroborated what she was saying, that it was consistent, that it was the same ones every day, and that there was one that was threatening to harm their pet if, if they, um, she didn't do what they told her to do. And so she uh, had uh, gotten to the point she couldn't work anymore. And these were professionals. They weren't people with um, this. She hadn't had any prior history. Because I always look into that um, from mental health to trauma to drugs and alcohol um, to anything to explain why this might be happening. And there wasn't anything that really added up. 
So um, apparently she had um, was unable. She, they wouldn't let her sleep. Uh, so she, like they, the zombies. They mean the zombies. Like how yeah. did they not let her sleep? Um, they, you know, she said that they kept her up all night, um, like uh, pestering her and asking her to do things, and so she wasn't sleeping. And uh, she just got where she felt like she just couldn't take it anymore. wasn't able to do her job. Uh, she actually worked in a healthcare uh, position. And so she ended up in the hospital, not sure what could be done for her. Wow. And uh, did how did she get in the hospital? I mean, how did this come to light? Like, did someone call the hospital? Did they bring her in? Like, oh, yeah. Like, her, what happened? Her, um, her spouse bought her because uh, it was just where, you know, those sleep deprivation, not being able to work, um, needing a note for work. <laughs> Uh, yet, you know, so you usually, you know, you're going to go to the urgent care, to the emergency room. They sent, um, they sent her to the emergency room because of what she said, that she was seeing people mm-hmm. who weren't there. And that was more of a psychiatric emergency than, like, you, you can't go to the urgent care for things like this. You have to go to the ER. And did you get the sense that she was aware of how strange it was? Yeah, I did. Um, and, uh, so she, um, that's why she waited two weeks. Uh, she thought it would just go away. And, um, it's, it's just a very strange story. Um, she didn't want people to think she was crazy. And, um, I was talking to her because of her, you know, her background and, uh, about, um, maybe, you know, going to see a therapist, uh, maybe talking about, you know, maybe something related to traumatic stress, and uh, she didn't want to do that. And I talked about, you know, maybe, uh, you know, talking to the doctor about a medication that might help with, uh, you know, some of the, uh, you know, the the thoughts. And she said, no, not unless um, I can take it at home. Because I had recommended she actually maybe take it in the hospital, thinking maybe time away where she could sleep and make sure she didn't have side effects. But she would not do that because uh, she said, well, how will I know if it works? You know, and I was saying, well, what do you mean? Well, I don't see the zombies here, meaning the ER. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I'm going to see them in the hospital. Oh my God. So unless I take the pill and I'm at home, that's the only way I'm going to know if it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that was very interesting. It's so, like uh, bizarrely uh, logical for somebody who's seen zombies I, in the backyard and they're telling her to do things. Yes, and, and threatening to harm her dog if they don't, she doesn't do what they tell mm-hmm. her to do. So uh, I actually, unfortunately didn't get to find out what happened after that, whether or not the uh, medication helped or whether she even took it or if they moved, who knows? That's amazing. And you'd think that these were highly unusual, but actually these kinds of cases were not a hundred percent the norm, but they were more frequent than you'd think. Yes. And I certainly wouldn't have time for this show to go into a lot of this, but I have to tell you a lot of, there was quite a cluster among kids, um, actually early, um, like tweens to early adolescents. And one that really does stand out, I'll talk about this. Um, this was a, uh, a girl who was at school and 
said she saw a man, she was sitting, I guess, by the window in her class, saw a man dressed in a suit standing outside who told her not to get on the bus, said something was going to happen. And she started to cry and went to the school nurse's office and shared this. Her, um, they called her mom and said that you need to take her in for a mental health evaluation. So and this is, you know, what they told me. And then I went to their emergency room and responded to that. So why did they have to take her? She was sitting in school mm-hmm. and she saw something out the window. Yeah. What, what did she say she saw out the window? She said she saw a man dressed in a suit and tie who told her that uh, not to get on the school bus, that there was going to be an accident. And um, she then started to cry and went to the nurse's office and shared this. And no one else saw anybody outside the window. And they assumed that something was mentally wrong. So they called her mother and said this, you know, take her take her for a psychiatric evaluation. And then that's where you met her in the ER. Exactly. Yes. And um, and when I, I noticed that, you know, her mother looked really visibly uh, frightened and um, she t- and this was this is kind of how things panned out. So uh, apparently this child had no prior history of any type of mental health issue. And the um, and the mother said that she was driving and saw her uh, child in the back seat interacting with something that she she you know she didn't see anybody else as if she was talking to someone. And she was like looking in the rearview mirror, and she saw the little girl in the back seat. Yes, as if she, as if, as if someone was next to her, kind of responding oh as Lord. if someone was present, and also talking as if there was some type of a two-way conversation. But the mother could only hear what her daughter was saying, and so, um, so the mother appeared really frightened, and she told me that, and is asking me, "What is this? What is this?" And how do you, you have to fill out reports as part of your job. So, like, how do you report on this exactly? Like, well, you know, you, like, what, like the recommend, <laughs> the diagnosis, the recommendation. And do other doctors read this? And do they think it's, you know, crazy town? Like, what what's going on okay. with that? Well, I have to say is that all I report on is what is stated, okay? Not my own personal impressions. I do want to share uh, something else about this. Mm-hmm. Um Okay, so I was asking the girl if, if um, she happened to see this man in the suit and tie here in the emergency room. And she said, yes, she did. And I happened to be sitting at the, with my back to the door, and it was a, a glass door you could see into the hallway. And I had just a strange sensation in the back of my head. And, and um, when I had asked her if she saw him and she said she did, she was looking um, outside the door. And I said, where, where do you see him? And she goes, he's right there, as if like pointing behind me. And that was very disturbing to me. Because <laughs> here wow. we have the mother who had seen this uh, her child interacting. And then I had this experience. Wow. And let me tell you, I did not put that in my report. <laughs> and so I wow. have to really keep things in uh, more of a, um, a clinical discourse so that these, these things are going to be going into a person's permanent medical record. So, uh, and also it's something that needs to be... Um, dealt with from the standpoint of uh, a diagnosis and a treatment plan that corresponds. Mm -hmm. And so that part is sometimes a a challenge. 
how is it that you're going to address these types of problems? So, um, and I do talk about that in the room too, about whether that person is needing therapy or if they need to be in the hospital, if they're a risk. And so that's, that's part of the work too. Wow. So in the, in the last, in the last minute that we have, uh, we just want to wrap things up here. This, you know, half hour went really quickly and there's a lot more to talk about, but to sum it up, really, this is a high stress, high stakes job that you're performing uh, for this medical facility and you're performing it on the locations that we've talked, we've been talking about that may be in, you know, infected and contaminated with the radioactivity. And, and next week we are going to continue this conversation. Um, in addition to the medical facility, in fact, right across the street from it is a major motion picture studio where those employees also have suffered uh, many of the maladies that uh, Suzanne's colleagues have. And it's something called the downy flu and uh, how these illnesses are characterized. We're going to be talking more about that, uh, the different uh, movies that were produced on the location where other cancer outbreaks have been recorded, producing movies like Iron Man, Terminator 3, Van Helsing, Indiana Jones, and G.I. Joe. Uh, where those employees producing those films became sick and disabled, and we'll be able to comment on that next week. So tune in to Ascension Sisters, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.